Well, Christmas is one of those few days where we depart from our regular teaching series. Um, Christmas and Easter and every once in a while, we will depart from our regular teaching series. And that regular teaching series right now is the book of Ecclesiastes. And uh, we'll pick it up again maybe next week. I haven't determined. I have an idea for next week. I just haven't. I just don't. Anyways, we'll be back in Ecclesiastes, all right? And we'll pick up in chapter, in chapter 9. And uh, I don't know about, about you, but I, I, I say this often, I think, but I'm enjoying the book of Ecclesiastes. I, I, I came into it not really understanding it all that well or certainly not having a firm grasp of it. I still don't know if I have a firm grasp of it, but I'm better... I have a better grasp of it than, than I did. It's been a fascinating a fascinating book to me. <clears throat> and so we will resume that study um, before long. But today we're going to focus our attention <clears throat> on the birth of Christ and namely the why. Why the birth of Christ? Why the incarnation? That's where we're going to give our attention. <clears throat> why the incarnation? Christmas is the remembrance by Christians of Christ coming into the world. But let's be honest, it's not an exclusively uh, Christian holiday. People from all various faiths or no faiths often celebrate um, uh, Christmas. And there are many popular reasons why people will celebrate Christmas. I listen to the news, I listen to commercials, I listen to uh, a lot of different Media, and you hear a lot of reasons why people might celebrate um, this 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 Christmas time. It might be that this time is all about friends. It's all about family. It's all about getting together. It's all about reconnecting. Or it is a time to be generous. It is a time to give to those who are less fortunate. It is a time for hope, perhaps. A time of reprieve from the difficulties, or perhaps just simply a time of festivities. And I would submit to you that those are all good reasons for acknowledging the Christmas season. And while they may be good reasons, they are not primary. The why of the incarnation is not a difficult question. Why the incarnation? Why the birth of Christ? Why is that necessary? Not a difficult, not a a difficult question to answer at all. In fact, Jesus gave numerous reasons why he came. I counted 12. But I read a couple other people's ideas and some had it as high as 21. And some of the reasons are very easy to figure out. Jesus just tells us, I came that they might have life and they might have it more abundantly. I came not to be served, but to serve. I came to, um, to lay down my life. I came for these particular reasons. I came to save. I came to serve. I came to give life. That's very simple. Why the incarnation? Well, Jesus tells us at least 12 different times. At least 12 different times. Like I said, I have the, my count's at 12. Some people have it at about 21. And I was going to give you four. 
And I think I'll just give you all 21, so we got time, right? Actually, I'm going to give you one. You can thank me later. I started preparing this. I was going to, my original notes say that I'm going to give you four. And maybe in your notes it even says I'm going to give you four. I don't, I don't know um, what those say. But um, I got through the first one and I said, well, I think that's enough. <laughs> so <clears throat> I kind of wandered around. So tonight, t- today, we're going to look at one reason to answer the, wa- the, the question of why the Incarnation. But... Before we consider um, why Jesus said he came, I think it's important for us to consider something much more fundamental. And, and I'm a preacher. You know I can't go straight to the text. I have to do all sorts of background stuff and fill in the blanks. And So, let's talk about something much more fundamental. Something much more fundamental to the question the question we're going to eventually answer is why the incarnation? Why the birth of Christ? But I want to talk about something much more fundamental before I get there. And the much more fundamental issue is the issue that God speaks. God speaks. And we're going to see this in, in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 2. Now, any of you who... In any relationship, I think we would all agree that communication is crucial in any relationship, and words are primary in, uh, is they are our primary means of getting to know one another. If we want to get to know one another, we sit down and talk. Or if we don't talk, we we use some form of language, whether it's sign language or some sort of uh, communication. I know there are other forms of communication other than verbal, but verbal communication is a primary means that we will use, a primary tool that we will use to get to know one another, to learn about one another. So communication, we would say, is crucial to any relationship. And probably most people who sit down and even counsel with others say, man, you've got to communicate. So communication is important. Speaking is important. And the much more fundamental issue that I want to use as a foundation is this. God speaks. God communicates. We are not left to discover God on our own. We maintain that the Christian faith is a revealed faith. It is not a discovered faith. It is a revealed faith. That is that God makes himself known. God takes the initiative and makes himself known. And so, I want to begin this morning from the book of Hebrews, chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Long ago, and at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created The world. So we begin with, in the past, God has spoken. Let me uh, assert that God is not silent. In fact, in Isaiah chapter 45, verses 18 and 19, we read this. For thus says the Lord, who created the heavens, he is God. Who formed the earth and made it, he established it. 
He did not create it empty. He formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord and there is no other. I did not speak in secret in a land of darkness. I did not say to the offspring of Jacob, seek me in vain. I, the Lord, speak the truth. I declare what is right. God speaks. God is not silent. He is not distant and mute. And his is not a random speech. It is not mindless chatter. When God speaks, God declares or reveals who He is and what He loves and what His purposes are. This does not mean that we can know God comprehensively, but it does mean we can know God accurately. In other words, God makes Himself known. That does not mean that you and I have a a grasp on every single thing about the eternal God. He is infinite. By definition, that would mean we would probably never know entirely uh, everything there is to know about God. But just because we don't know Him comprehensively or know everything about Him comprehensively, in other words, there are mysteries. There are some things about God, and we're experiencing that in the book of Ecclesiastes, aren't we? There are some things that it's like, ah. And even the author of Ecclesiastes says, well, nobody knows God comprehensively, and that's a paraphrase. But just because we don't know God comprehensively doesn't mean that what we know about Him isn't accurate. So we do know a number of things about God, and those things that we know are accurate, but we don't know everything about God. There are some mysteries. But His speech is not random. He reveals who He is. He reveals what He loves. He reveals His purpose. These things we know, and we know them accurately. God is not an idea to be contemplated, but a person to be heard, a person to be understood, and a person to be loved. So long ago, at many times, God spoke frequently. Long ago, in many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers through the prophets. So God has not been silent. Then note what the author of Hebrews says. But in these last days. But in these last days he has spoken to us. How? By his son. In these last days. In these last days, a a different means has been employed to communicate. So God always has communicated. And the author of Hebrews says that God has, crea- God has communicated in the past in many ways, but in these last days, He has given us a different means, a different means of communication. The means of communicating to people is His Son. Jesus is the final Word of God. We need no further revelation. In fact, Jesus said, If you have seen Me, you have seen the Father. I and the Father are one. So, the much more fundamental issue that I have attempted to bring up is that God speaks. God speaks clearly. God has spoken in many ways. And in these last days, God has spoken through His Son. Well, then that would just foster the question, well, then if God speaks and He has spoken in His Son, what is it exactly that God has said? That just seems to be a a natural question. 
And it is here when we ask this question, what has God said? It is here where we will encounter a statement by Jesus. One of the statements by Jesus where he said, I have come. In other words, Jesus said, I have come to do certain things. And if you will, um, you can turn in your Bible to John chapter 18, verse 37, or I have it up on the screen. So, either way, this is uh, the background of this is Jesus is on trial. And you're thinking, well, it's Christmas. Why aren't we talking about his birth? And as we've kind of mentioned uh, as we've gone along, that I don't know that we can separate his birth from his crucifixion. Those two events are intimately related. And in this particular passage, Jesus is on trial. He's uh, on trial at this time before the Roman government. He went through a lot of different um, court trials. He was tried before um, a number of different groups. And now he is before a man by the name of Pontius Pilate, who is a Roman governor, and he is on trial. And Pilate said to him, so you are a king. This would have been a big deal for Pilate. Because if there is any usurper to, that might try to, an insurrectionist who might try to topple the Roman government, Pontius Pilate is going to take note of that. That's going to be a very serious issue. So Pilate said to him, so you are a king. Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king. And here's our quote for, the, for our text. Says, for this purpose I was born. For this purpose, I came into the world. For this purpose, the incarnation. For this purpose, I was born. And for this purpose, I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who, who is of the truth listens to my voice. So here's a why the incarnation. Not 21 of them, not 22, not even 12, one. For this reason, I was born. And for this purpose, I have come into the world. I've come into the world to bear witness to the truth or to testify to the truth. So the first implication of this statement is that there is truth. There is a truth then that everybody should believe. Now let me see if I can define truth because we live in a culture today that really struggles with that idea. But I will simply say, I will define truth very simply. Truth is that which... Um, that conforms to reality. So truth is that which conforms to reality. What this means then is truth is outside of us. In other words, the world does not make truth and the world does not change truth. Culture does not make truth and culture does not change truth. An individual does not create truth and an individual does not change truth. Truth is outside of us. Truth is objective. We do not have the ability to create truth. We might discover truth. You say, well, what about science? Scientists are always coming up and saying that this is true. We never knew this before. Well, it was always true. They just happen to discover it now. But it's not like it just kind of just started to happen. It's always been, and if it's true, it always will be. Truth is outside of us. And now I know that this is an absolutely radical idea today. 
These words by Jesus would be viewed as ridiculous, mean, and bigoted. To assert that there is an objective or absolute truth would be is considered the height of arrogance. But here, Jesus, probably the most humble person who has ever lived, says, I've come to bear witness to the truth, and everyone who is of the truth will hear my voice. So Jesus is making a very objective statement, and a very firm statement. I have come to testify, to declare the truth. And again, this is a radical idea in a culture and in, uh, in, with the idea that truth is personally defined, that truth is derived from within, that I have my own truth. You don't have your own truth. You have your own idea, but you don't have your own truth. No such thing. I always love it when People tell me, well, you know, John, truth is relative. It's just the silliest statement I've ever heard. And what's the proper response? Is that true? (laughs) Because it's it's a self-defeating statement, isn't it? If it is true, then truth, then that's objectively true, which defeats your statement. And anyways, so that's another another day. And so Jesus um, is saying that I have come to testify of the truth and um, uh, a radical statement in the day in which we are living. People say that I have my own truth. People are not looking for the truth. They are looking for their truth. And hence, truth is relative. They are saying that truth originates from within, and therefore it is malleable. What was true for me last year is not true for me this year. What was true for me in my 20s has altered and changed, and now it is no longer true, and I have a new truth in my 30s or in my 40s or in my 50s on how I deal with relationships or, 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 or how I relate to my environment. The truth is not relative. The trajectory today or what is established today is that truth originates from within and therefore it is malleable. And let me just say that relativism is woven into the very fabric of the American mind. I think I saw a statement. I don't know if it was at a protest and I saw somebody putting up a sign or if it was uh, uh, some business or educational mission statement. I forgot exactly um, where I saw this, but it was, again, one of those um, statements that sounds good, like truth is relative, or yeah, truth is relative, but absolutely, if you think about it, it makes no sense. And the statement was this. Bottom line, we will not tolerate intolerance. So there is something that you will not tolerate. And usually it is whatever you may disagree with. In other words, you have boundaries. You have a certain border that you will not cross. That's fine. Just state it. Don't say that, listen, everybody is, uh, we tolerate everything. No, you don't. I guarantee you don't. 
I wasn't sure I was going to bring this up, but I, but I will. Isabel Vaughn Spruce. Isabel Vaughn Spruce. You may not know that name. I just learned of it earlier this week. Isabel Vaughn Spruce was arrested by a very tolerant society in the UK. She was arrested, put in jail, has to hire a lawyer because of a thought crime. She was praying silently, not verbal at all, outside of an abortion clinic. And somebody said, I think maybe she might be praying. And the police come and confront her. What are you doing? Are you praying? She said, I might be. Well, you're going to jail. She never said a word. We will not tolerate intolerance unless you think wrong. Like I said, just one example. Summary, what Jesus has said. I know I kind of veered a little bit. But there is truth. There is truth. It is outside of us. It gives the world meaning and all are to acknowledge and submit to it. I love people who say that there is no truth because you can't live that way. Try living that way. Just try. Try to live as though there is no truth or that truth is relative or that it is not. I bring this up all the time. The moment your boss doesn't pay you, And he may say, or she may say, listen, my truth is that I should keep your paycheck. You will all of a sudden adhere to my view and Jesus' view that truth is objective. No, you need to pay me because I work. And we have an agreement. And it is fair and it is right and it is honorable and it is true. The moment we get uncomfortable, we all fall back on objective truth. Nobody can live with truth being relative. It's impossible. The one who says that is going to put a contract in front of you and say, here, sign on the bottom line, which is an objective standard. Anyways. So the first implication is that there is truth. And Jesus says, I've come into the world to bear witness to the truth. So there is truth. The second implication is that Jesus came as a witness to that truth. For this I was born, to bear witness to the truth. So, how does he bear witness to the truth? I suppose what we ought to do is look to see what does he do and what does he say. If he is the one bearing witness or testifying to what is true, we should listen to his testimony. And testimony not only is in what a person may say, but in what they do. Jesus came as a witness to the truth. So listen to what he says and pay attention to what he does. And you're saying, yeah, but he he left a long time ago. I would suggest this. If you want to understand what truth Jesus was bearing witness to, um, the four Gospels, just read the four Gospels and just read what Jesus said and did. There are many other parts of the Bible that are really good to read, and but... 
But if you want to, Jesus testified the truth. Look at eyewitness accounts to his life and see what he says and see what he does. This takes us back to our original point that God speaks in many ways. And in these last days, he has spoken to us how? In his son. And his son came to testify to the truth. So pay attention to what he said and did. And probably the best place to start is with biographical accounts. Eyewitnesses who were there. Back in John 17, 17, Jesus in his great high priestly prayer says, talks about, he's, in pray, he's praying and he says, your words are truth, which is a reference to the scriptures being true, being absolutely true. The truth of God, heaven, hell, sin, righteousness, man's nature, love, hate, death, life, judgment, and salvation are revealed in the witness. And he has borne witness to the truth of God. We can learn God has spoken. How has God spoken? Well, in these last days, he has spoken in his son who has come to bear witness to the truth. That seems to be, uh, I, I would exhort you then to pay attention to the one who bears witness to the truth. Well then, the next thing we probably want to consider is the necessity of um, of Jesus, the need that we have for Jesus to bear witness to the truth. Well, why? Why he bears witness to the truth? Why should I pay attention to him? Can't I find some other philosopher or some other um, means of discovering the truth? Well, the biblical account is we, there is a necessity, and we find it in 2 Corinthians um, chapter 4, uh, verse 4, where it says this, Paul is writing to the Corinthian church and and he writes this. He says, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So the necessity is that there is truth, objective truth that is outside of us, but it is veiled by lies. Jesus, the witness, referred to Satan as a liar and the father of lies, the God of this world that Paul references here, has blinded the minds to believe lies and not truth. That's why we need a witness to the truth. Because many have been blinded, many people's minds have been blinded um, to the truth by believing lies. In fact, Romans chapter 1, verses 18 and following, um, I would encourage you to read that entire section, but I think I just uh, pulled out one pertinent Aspect, but it is a, probably one of the most contemporary and relevant passages of text um, that that we that we have. I would encourage you strongly to re- start with 18. But here, here it is. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Because why? Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. So the truth is veiled um, by lies. We've established that. Paul then writes, "We have exchanged the truth for a lie. We've traded um, reality for fantasy. The lie provides the facade of wisdom, but actually makes us fools." 
So, the necessity. Jesus said, I came to bear testimony to the truth. We've established that there is truth, objective truth, and that Jesus is its witness. And now we have explored the necessity of it because we have exchanged the truth for a lie. We have bought into what is popularly um, conveyed as wisdom. Well, if all those things... Pastor John, are true, then is there a remedy? What do we do about that? Well, 1 John chapter 3, verse 8, and I would encourage you to, to turn to 1 John 3 if you, if you have your Bibles or to look in the pew back and in, or on your phone. Just, you should have a Bible downloaded on your phone, and if you don't, if you just Google it or Yahoo it or whatever search engine you use, You can just type in First John three eight B First John three uh, three eight and you will it will come up on your phone I I believe First John three eight the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil we we just learned that the God of this world has blinded the minds of people and here the reason here's another one of those twenty two reasons I'm kind of merging it. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. So Jesus not only speaks what is true, but he is actually truth itself. He said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. The truth of Jesus is necessary as the world has believed a lie. Jesus not only reveals the truth, but destroys the one who has blinded our minds with a lie. And he has done this through his sinless life, his sacrificial death, and victorious resurrection. So recognizing our rebellion against God and trusting that Jesus' work is necessary and sufficient to atone for that rebellion will result in being a new creation. And this answers our question. Why the incarnation? I didn't give you 22 reasons. I actually gave you one and a half, well, two. So, all right, I didn't tell you the truth. Listen, truth is relative, right? So, I gave you two. Jesus came to testify of the truth. God speaks. God speaks through his Son. His son is the truth. And his truth is that we have been blinded um, and we have believed a lie and Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. That is why Jesus came. So, I'll conclude with this. I'm quick this today, aren't I? Yeah, you, you're just getting settled in. I know, I surprised myself. Today we rejoice. Uh, today is a, a day of celebration. Today we learn that God speaks and we can know him accurately. 
and that he has spoken through his son and his son came to uh, spoken through Jesus who came to testify of the truth and that there is objective truth and Jesus is the is the witness of that objective truth and that we are in need of it because we have believed the lie and Jesus came also to destroy um, the one who perpetrates that lie and he did it um, through his sinless life, his sacrificial death and his victorious resurrection. So today we rejoice. This is a day of celebration. Today... Unto us a child is born, a son is given. If you will, let's...